Alive and Kicking on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show alive and kicking at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Lily Higgins on cooking through the chaos, her go to foods for busy lives, how to be skin safe this summer, and I'll be meeting Guy O'Leary to talk about defying the odds, coming back from a cancer diagnosis and raising hundreds of thousands of euro for research. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, I was slightly behind myself all week after the bank holiday. Hard to know what day it was at all. I forgot multiple things as I thought I was a day behind myself, which can be good to break the whole Groundhog Day of sorts in your week. But it was actually worth it to have that sun-drenched bank holiday weekend, wasn't it? I was in Inishboffin with my family and some of our best friends and it was absolutely perfect. Sea swims, cycles around the island, local seafood and of course the crack. Highly recommend a trip to Inishboffin. We stay at the Dunmore and from the minute you step foot on the island, everything within you relaxes. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, I'm taking the Go With Your Gut event to Cork on the 22nd of June, so only a couple of weeks away. The night in Dublin was a great success, so we are heading south on the 22nd. I'll be joined by pharmacist Una O'Hagan. Fiona Lochran will be hosting a yoga and intuition workshop. We'll have a cookery demo of gut-friendly food from Lily Higgins, who joins me on the line now. Well, Lily, you're very welcome. Thanks, Claire. Delighted to be here. I'm really looking forward to the event. And I am a follower of yours on Instagram. Um, I love watching what you do with food. Um, But I want to know a bit more about you because you've just kind of been omnipresent. You and your sister were like, oh, there's two really talented sound Higgins sisters and you've built it up sort of from there. But I don't really know how it all started. Were you always into food? I'll have to say first, there's seven amazing Higgins sisters, just in case Good. they're listening. <laughs> but um, no, I was I started um, with design in college, actually. So my degree is in design um, and I did animation and just spent six years basically learning all about design and art and everything. And then after, once I qualified, I decided I actually want to work in food. So then I went to Ballymaloo because it's literally half an hour away from my house. So went there and did the three-month course and then I was teaching down there as well which is really good to see it from both perspectives you know as a teacher and as a student and so I suppose that's how I love communicating recipes to people like how to cook things so um and then for the past 12 years I've been doing weekly food columns recipe columns every single week which someone estimated the other day that's like over 600 recipes basically um over the years just for the Sunday Business Post and now for the Irish Times so it's just been writing about food constantly and cooking and eating as well so some of my favorite things um and I just love being able to take photographs of everything and now of course like you mentioned with things like Instagram and TikTok you can make videos and reels and actually show people how things are made and sort of inspire them to make different food choices like put this and this together and you know it's just really it's really exciting time to be in food I think. And you do really live it. Like I see you grow your own veg in the garden. You know, you make your own birthday cakes. Like this isn't just a job. This is you sharing your life. Yeah, it is. And I mean, like I'm very lucky like that as well. I suppose that my job is sort of a content creator at home and writing about food at home. So I can have that bit of time to um, do things like that. I mean, I will say 
I made a birthday cake at the weekend for my daughter's birthday, but my my two boys, their birthdays are in December and January. And I, I bought those cakes, you know, because it was such a busy time of year. Time, December, January, you know? are different months. Totally, totally. So, I mean, I'm all up for the shortcuts and making life easier because everybody is just so, so busy and our days are jam-packed. So it's just trying to eat you know, really delicious and sometimes healthy food wherever we can get it. And it's just those shortcuts and kind of um, just all learning together how to eat our best and be, you know, at our top maximum health so we can cope with the busy days that we have, you know. So tell us about life growing up. It must have been a very busy Higgins household by the sounds of things. Yeah, very busy. So I suppose out of out of necessity rather than kind of a trendiness, like we had our own hens and everything, you know, so it was kind of like my granddad had a farm behind us and then um, we used to have all chickens and ducks. And at one stage we had two pigs as well. So it was kind of growing up, growing things like picking gooseberries and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, it's the type of thing that I would aspire to do now with my kids. But, you know, I can't even manage that. And but I do have like a little bit of rhubarb and salad and things like that. So we're kind of building up to it. But um, so we grew up like that, you know, eating food that was sort of cooked from scratch, I suppose, um, and making things for big groups. It was all big groups because it was 10 of us all together in the family. So it was like big dinners. And I just loved cooking at home, Claire. I have to say, I really loved it. So I remember like coming home from secondary school and making the dinner for everybody. And I used to just love feeding a crowd. Like I love that feeling of there being like loads of garlic bread and a big, huge pot of pasta and, you know, giving out the spoonfuls of pasta to everybody like I just love that feeling so um I've always enjoyed that kind of hosting and having people over for dinner and I think that's come from being in a big family you know having a big gang at the table I just love that and I know at the event you're going to be sharing some gut friendly recipes because to look after our gut it's really important that we eat the rainbow and a real fresh array of different foods and fiber um, and just the rainbow, I think, is the easiest way to say it, as I as I said yeah. it at the start. But something I also want to cover, and you might touch on it now, is that people can often be put off by cooking, that they think they don't have time. As you said, everybody's really busy and they get really intimidated as to where to start with cooking from scratch. Yeah, no, they do, definitely. Um, and I think that's where... You know, even when we're going to be talking about the gut health, like about 15 years ago, I got into fermentation and all those the incredible benefits to that. But it's also a really good way to avoid food waste and to prep your meals ahead of time because, you know, you can get, a, you know, a head of cabbage is super cheap and you can make like three jars of sauerkraut by adding just a little bit of salt to that cabbage. And then you've got like the base for loads of meals. You know, you could have it with mashed potato and sausages and you just take out a scoop of your sauerkraut and that's your veg option added. And you can have it in hot dogs. And it's just so incredibly fast and easy having all these ferments like kimchi in the fridge. You know, after a really busy day, you can put some leftover rice, a fried egg and a dollop of kimchi in a bowl and that's your dinner. So it's, it's really kind of just trying to think differently about how we can fit fermentation and fermented products into our everyday life. Whereas, you know, ev- like people find fermentation a bit um, kind of uh, scary or they're like, I don't know where to start with that. But I mean, our coffee, chocolate, yogurt, so many foods that we eat already, beer, you know, they're all fermented. So um, I think it's just trying to um, be informed and trying to do our best and having fermented foods like that, even if you're buying them, it's just a really good way of 
taking shortcuts to sort of healthier eating. And I, I just love that. I found it fascinating learning all about it. And as well as all the prebiotic foods, the probiotic food, like the yogurts and the kefir and the kombucha, we can have prebiotic food, which is what feeds all that. So things like leeks and leafy greens and vegetables and grains, like they would feed all that good bacteria. And I just love the thought of balancing a meal, you know, to get the most benefit from it like that. And I think that's a much better way of looking at things. I think when it comes to healthy eating in inverted commas, because I really think there's a place for all foods and we need joy when we're eating our food. But we kind of focus on what are we taking out and what are we restricting and what are the bad foods? And we should be looking at what are we adding in and how can we nourish ourselves and just enjoy food? Because when you take away all the rules, it just becomes so much easier, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, exactly. And what you said there, nourishing, that's exactly the type of thing. You know, it's it's like making, you know, a rhubarb fool by like whipping together yogurt with a bit of cream and then having your gorgeous sweetened rhubarb. You know, it's just trying to add the goodness to the already delicious things is exactly it, you know. And like making your coleslaw to go with your burgers with a little bit of yogurt in it and using sauerkraut in that coleslaw. Like it's just all sort of healthy additions to make you feel nourished, but also like really happy and satisfied and that you don't feel, um, you know, you're missing out on anything. So do you set aside time? Like would you batch cook on a Sunday? Are there things that you do a couple of days a week that make the rest of the days flow easier? Like I'd love to say that I do. I mean, there's some days where I, you know, I'd get a bit of time where I would make a load of granola um, or I would do something like a really easy pasta sauce and freeze it. But it's it's definitely no, I have absolutely no routine in any way, Claire. My only, my only routine is stuff to do with the kids and then I go to Pilates once a week. That's like my only actual <laughs> routine. Everything else is just <laughs> scattered all over the place. So that's actually why I think it's more important because, you know, I could be doing anything on any given day. So that's why I love having things like that in the fridge. And like I buy, like I make sauerkraut, but I also buy sauerkraut. Like there's loads of brilliant Irish suppliers who make all these fantastic foods, you know, and the kimchi and everything. You can get all of that here so easily now. So that's what's really good is, you know, you can support local suppliers and you can eat really well and it'll just fit into your lifestyle but it's about having the plan in your head I think more than anything you know I mean we all love the idea of batch cooking and meal prep but it's kind of better to have things like a really good chopper you know that you can chop all your food real quick in or a Nutribullet to make all your lovely sauces and dressings and once you have those things that will give you shortcuts you know you can make them in real time and it's you know you don't have to be under pressure to have everything prepped ahead you know so it's, it's kind of having a plan like usually I'm driving home from somewhere and I'm thinking I'm gonna put that with that and this with that and then I come into the house and just do it you know. So what do you make sure, I know you mentioned some of the equipment there, but in your kind of weekly shop, what are some of the staples that you would have there that really do make that life a little bit easier? Yeah, well, I'd say since about last summer, I've been getting a, a weekly delivery from Green Earth Organics, their family run farm in Galway, and they just do a plastic free box of it's just the harvest veg bumper box or whatever it is. And there's just loads of vegetables in there. So I think I have absolutely no excuse then. You know, so you get your beetroot and your carrots and potatoes and onions and you get loads of different things. And, you know, you can get this time of year now there's courgettes and tomatoes and salad and everything. So I have absolutely no excuse. That vegetable comes every Friday and I just open the box and, you know, wash some of it, prep some of it, put it in the fridge. And I know it's there. 
So that's actually really good. And it's just sort of a rolling order. So I don't even have to think about ordering it. It just comes every single Friday. And I know that's there. So no matter how scatty I am, I know I have those to pull from. And I always make sure I have things like I love barley and couscous and loads of different grains like that. Loads of different types of pasta, rice. So if I have all those things in the cupboard and then if I know of getting my fresh veg in, um, and like we do eat meat as well. So I would have things like chicken thighs in the freezer and chicken and lovely organic minced beef. So I don't know if you know neighbor food. It's a thing we have it down in Cork and there's a few different neighbor foods around the country. And basically it's like an online delivery service. It's like a farmer's market, but online. Um, so you can just make your order and all the stuff gets delivered or you can collect it from a local collection point. And that would be where you get your things like your kimchi and your sauerkraut and anything that you'd normally get at a farmer's market because I love going to farmer's markets, but I don't always have time. Like on a Saturday, it's almost like a lifestyle thing. The farmer's markets, you know, you go and hang around for a few hours and get your coffee in that, but it takes a lot of time, you know? So, um, neighbor food kind of cuts that out for me and you can just order your stuff online, you know, at like midnight on a Tuesday night or something is usually what I'm doing it on my phone. And then, uh, you just get the stuff delivered and that's really, really handy. And again, like a great way to support local suppliers and you're getting gorgeous produce as well, direct to your door. Well, we are so lucky here on this island of Ireland. Our food quality is so, so good. And as you say, we're so lucky to be able to lean on that and to buy local means amazing, incredible food. And it's great to hear you're just as busy as the rest of us and disorganised as the rest of us. But somehow you pull it together and you're still coming up with recipes for your newspaper columns and online. I can't wait to get to hang out with you on the 22nd of June in the Address Hotel in Cork for the Go With Your Gut event. Tickets are available on Eventbrite now. Just search for Go With Your Gut Cork. Lily Higgins, thank you so much for coming on. Alive and kicking on News Talk. So Emer Daly of Daily Wellbeing is back with the latest in health and wellbeing news. How is your health and wellbeing, Emer? My health and wellbeing is good. I feel in the summer everyone's just in a good mood, good vibes are happening. Yeah, good energy. There is. I feel it too. And we've been very lucky. So we'll we'll leave it there. We'll delve no deeper. (laughs) Tell us your first story and it's living a long and healthy life. Yes, I heard this story and it just warmed my heart so much. Maureen Hughes turned 109 last month and she celebrated her birthday, like many of us do, surrounded by her family and her friends and a big old birthday cake. And she has just really conquered so much in her lifetime. She's lived through two world wars, nine presidents in Ireland and 14 Taoiseachs. Like this woman is an absolute legend. And... You know, it, it really, it was just so lovely to see her sense of humour, having a good laugh with her friends. One of her friends asked her, is she a rich L1 now? And she said, I am rich, but I'm also rich in the company that I surround myself with. And it was just so lovely to hear. So she is like a full mind, healthy body, 109. Honestly, when I saw, it was a, a clip of her, I saw and I was like, I'm obsessed with her outfit, her energy, (laughs) her sense of humour, everything. And, you know, she talked about the things that she likes doing, which was the basics of listening to music, doing a crossword every day and always having something to read by her side. But it's really interesting because we are, as a population or worldwide, living longer and healthier. But the blue zones are the area of the world where people live healthiest. And it's really simple ways of life 
that are attributed to that. And a lot of it is coming together in a community and having that sense of purpose by getting on with your neighbour and gathering in the square in the evening. Absolutely. And she even mentioned that herself, that like she loves living around greenery, being able to go for walks, being out in fresh air. So that really does contribute to the longevity secrets there as well. Yeah, because we do think of old getting older as kind of something to fear, whereas she is an amazing representation of it's something to be looked forward to. And we've still got a long way to go. We can fulfil so many more dreams. We've a long way to go. Your second story is about toxic relationships and their impact on our health. So what did Professor Luke O'Neill have to say about this? Yeah, so Professor Luke O'Neill was telling us that toxic relationships can have a huge impact on our health and well-being. They can even be as bad on our health as smoking or drinking, which might be a surprise to some people. But if you actually think about the to- having a toxic relationship in your life and how you feel after leaving a situation, you know, you, you don't feel like yourself, you don't feel good. Or you might even feel a little bit like you're walking on eggshells. But... This study was um, conducted and it's called the, the Science of Happiness. And really it's a research behind finding out what makes people happy, happy. And the number one research was that human connection. So relationships in our life, they are a huge impact on how happy we are. But having healthy relationships are really, really important. And sometimes we need to just bring our awareness to the relationships that aren't serving us. And I think if we can all close our eyes for two or three minutes, we can think of someone who who does have an impact um, that makes us happy. And, you know, someone we can turn to and be honest with, communicate well, and just have a good sense of humour as well at the end of the day. And I suppose toxic relationships can be in your platonic friends, your romantic relationships, your your work colleagues. Yeah. So how do you know a relationship is toxic? So I think some of the things that we can notice in a toxic relationship are um, a feeling of toxic communication, how you're actually speaking to someone. I mean, it costs us nothing to be kind to each other, but how someone's actually speaking to you and how they're making you feel, that has a huge impact as well. Feeling like someone's controlling of you um, can also be an impact there as well. Or having a feeling of just, you know, when you feel like you're walking on eggshells a little bit. And don't get me wrong, everyone has their days, you know, where they're they're not their full self. And that's, it's it's really to feel like, is this happening all the time when I meet up with this person? Is it impacting every single time I meet up with them? And I think just allowing yourself, bring your awareness to what can I do? Is it creating some boundaries um, to give yourself what you need to, to have these healthy relationships in your life? Well, this is a healthy relationship that we have here, Emma. I have no issues. I'm not putting up any boundaries. Will you come back again? Absolutely. I love coming here so much. It warms my heart and it definitely is a healthy relationship. Well, people can find out more. You're at daily underscore wellbeing on Instagram and Emer also has a podcast. It's called Figuring It All Out. Thank you so much for coming on, Emer Daily. Now, the sun has been shining and of course we've been delighted to see it, but I think it's always good to be reminded of how to protect our skin during the summer months and all year round. I'm joined in studio now by Ivana Breen, founder and senior skin therapist of Ivana Breen Beauty and Laser Clinic in Dublin too. Ivana, you're very welcome. Thank you for having me. And over the last little while, I think we've all been quite excited to see the sun, um, but we need to be really mindful of protecting our skin. I think it's so important at the start of the year to just remind people That's it, exactly. As you say, we get so excited when we see a little bit of sunshine and we just want to go straight out into the sun. But sunscreen and sun care is so important. And I think we're aware of this fact, but we just maybe 
choose to forget in the excitement or whatever it is. But really, regardless of whether the sun is shining or not, and let's face it, it doesn't shine all that often in Ireland, but all year round we should be wearing an SPF, even if it's an overcast, cloudy day, because the UV rays still penetrate the clouds and still reinforce damage. And because even though in this part of the world we celebrate tanned skin, there's no such thing as a healthy tan. None. Like tan skin is damaged skin. Exactly. Yeah. A tan is a scar. If you're changing colour and it, it doesn't matter whether you have pale freckled type skin like the, all the Irish people or the majority of Irish people or whether you're lucky enough to have that beautiful olive Mediterranean skin type or even darker skin types. It doesn't matter what skin type you are. You can potentially get skin uh, cancer from UV rays exposure. And and it's not just the skin cancer, it's, it's ageing the skin prematurely as well. So if you're changing colour in any way, be that red or brown or whatever colour you go, you've done damage to your skin. So what should we be putting on our skin? You want an SPF of minimum 50 on a daily basis, wherever your skin is exposed. And I think the other thing people are Uh, The other question that always comes up is the vitamin D question and whether um, if we're wearing sunscreen, does that mean we're not getting vitamin D? And it's it's a bit of a myth that uh, you won't get vitamin D through sunscreen. You can stimulate vitamin D, stimulate or vitamin D synthesis does still happen when you're wearing SPF. So that's not an excuse not to wear it. Okay, and I suppose if you are concerned about your vitamin D levels, you can supplement or, you know, make sure you eat lots of foods that are rich in that. You don't necessarily have to rely on the sun for your vitamin D alone, but it's good that you busted that myth. And I think a lot of women will have SPF in their daily skincare routine and it's popping up now in, in foundations. Is that enough? Is it enough to have it in something like your makeup or do you need to have a specific SPF? I would say it's not enough to have it in your makeup because the majority of people won't put enough makeup on to give the coverage that you need to get the protection from the UV rays. So if it has, if your makeup has an SPF in it, fantastic, but wear another one as well. So make sure that you have put your SPF on first before you put your makeup on. What about on the body then? I think people would not dream of going to Spain for two weeks without bringing some sun cream with them, but they don't think about it day to day. Do they need to start thinking a lot more about it? Absolutely. And I think the the chest area is somewhere that people do forget about because they might be conscious of their face and some people even forget the neck area. I saw a great photograph again online recently where the lady had been diligent with her sun cream on her face, but her neck had aged so badly because she just never brought it down onto her neck. So if you're wearing a top like I am today with a V-neck, you're going to have to carry that sunscreen all the way down. If your forearms are, are exposed and you're driving along the car, you need to be wearing sunscreen on the car in the car on you on your arms as well. So wherever your skin is exposed, you need to be wearing sunscreen. Yeah. And again, factor 50. Factor 50. Talk to people as well about the shelf life of cosmetics, because I think, you know, people consider sunscreen to be an investment um, And they might have one knocking around from last summer that they'll be taking out now this summer. But we need to be really conscious of their shelf life. So conscious, yeah. If you look on the back of any packaging, it has a little jar on it with a lid that's open and it will tell you there's a number on that jar as well. And that tells you how long the 
uh, product is active for, how long you can actually use it for. So um, some sunscreens would be six months, some would be a year. But you're right. If you bought them a year ago, check that uh, sign on the back of the packaging and just throw it out. The best way to keep your skin healthy is to wear sunscreen on a daily basis. Well, Ivana Breen, founder of Ivana Breen Beauty and Laser Clinic. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Alive and kicking on News Talk. Now, my next guest, Guy O'Leary, was diagnosed with stage four cancer in 2017 when he was 34. And he decided to give back to the medical team and the research that saved him. Guy decided to set himself a challenge to swim a mile a day in May to raise money for cancer research. It started in 2019 and he's just completed the 2023 event and he joins me in studio now. Guy, you're very welcome. Hi, Claire. Thanks for having me. Before we get into the sea with you, (laughs) as it were, let's go back because you were kind of pushed to go and get checked by your wife, Aoife, because of a, a family history. You weren't experiencing symptoms or, or anything like that. Yeah, um, I have a family history on my dad's side. Uh, so he had stage one cancer a couple of years before I was diagnosed. And my wife, Aoife, um, she was just, you know, on to me to go and get checked, go and get checked. And uh, I ended up going into the into the into my local GP um, just kind of after Aoife having been at me for for a few months to get it done. And, you know, for me to go and get checked would have been a really strange thing in my kind of early, mid-30s. It's not really, you know, a cancer that would show up until probably your 50s on average. And if you were to have kind of a family history, you know, I, I certainly wouldn't have needed to get checked until until I was well into my 40s. So, you know, my story is a really, really lucky one. Number one, that my wife pushed me to go and get checked. I mean, she's my real hero because, you know, if she hadn't have pushed me and even if it had gone another couple of months, um, my story would be completely different. Uh, and then more luck that the GP would actually go ahead and 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 run the tests on me because you know by protocol I suppose she didn't really have to um so yeah you know two real heroes there that completely changed the direction of my life yeah and it's bowel cancer we're talking about mm. and I think people still feel a bit uncomfortable with talking about that mm. um what are the tests that you have to undergo yeah well bowel cancer um is one of the biggest killers in terms of in in terms of cancer um you know, the key thing is, like with all cancers, is that you catch it early. That's the best, um, you know, cure to this disease is that it, that it's caught early. Um, my my story is a little bit strange in that I've never even had a, a symptom of cancer. Uh, ordinarily, with bowel cancer, you you can imagine you get a you get a tumor in your bowel, and your your whole system would get completely blocked up. You'd get very sick, and that's the time you would go and 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 get checked. Um, so, in my case, it was quite different. I I had no problems at all in terms of in terms of any symptoms. Um, it was purely that my wife got me to go and get checked. Um, and yeah, I mean the uh, you know the the tests aren't pretty. Um, there's blood tests, which is fine, but uh, but it's 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 scopes. So they uh, they put you know cameras inside you, um, through you know up and down, and uh, that's that's it. It's a it's a it's a method that's been around for a long time, and it works. Um, you you, you actually you know when they put a camera down your down your throat, and uh, you know you you watch it live on TV in front of you. You know you're slightly sedated, but uh, 
but I watched the whole thing live, the discovery of my tumour and uh and uh you know the reaction after that of the of the doctors and uh yeah it's it's amazing what technology has done over the years um back to my family my grandmother would have died of the same disease you know 30 years 32 years before i was diagnosed um and back then there was just no hope you know if you were diagnosed with probably stage 2 or stage 3 cancer in you know the 80s um you know, there was there was really, you know, you had a really small probability of survival, uh, and if they did a surgery on you, it was a big, you know, big deal. Open you up, um, you know, if they were doing a bowel or a liver resection, like what I had, you know, these would be enormous operations back then, and you know, weeks and weeks of recovery, and then you know, no ability to get further treatment. So, you know, my idea with this whole charity is to fund technology and research going forward uh, so that they can, you know, do better operations. Um, you'd be, like, you wouldn't believe the technology that we use, used on me with the, with the operations that I did. So, um, yeah. Bit it's incredible a- that you almost have that timeline. And I say that with sensitivity because I, I obviously, you know, your grandmother lost her life. Mm. But to see over the 30 years, the advancements from her to your dad <laughs> and from your dad to you just shows. And that's why you're so passionate about putting as much funding as possible into research, because who knows where we'll be 30 years on from now. But you had an operation then um, to remove that tumour from your bowel and, and, and you were kind of getting on with your life, so to speak. And and then what happened? Yeah, um, I had a bowel resection, so they take out a part of your bowel, the the, the part that has the tumour in it. Um, a couple of months went by. Um, I was recovering from the surgery quite well. Um, everything was kind of getting back to normal. And, you know, I think with all cancer patients, once you go through, uh, once you go through cancer, you're on hyper alert after that. Um, you're... You're 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 very paranoid about any changes in your body or or, or ways that you feel. Um, I remember taking my temperature a lot, checking if I was sick or not. Um, so one morning in the shower, uh, I was actually washing under my arm and I found a lump. Uh, and you know you you hear so many cancers begin with a lump. Uh, so you know I got in touch with my new best friend uh, Ollie Warren, uh, my surgeon, and. Uh, I actually WhatsApped him and I said, I found a lump under my arm. Uh, we had a call that afternoon and uh, we met up the next day to, to check it out. Uh, and physiologically, he didn't think, you know, there's no way it kind of normally hops from your bowel up into your lymph nodes under your arm. Um, but, you know, I was fairly paranoid about the whole thing. So we, we set up a, a surgery for a week's time to take the lump out. Uh, it actually subsequently disappeared um, and... And, uh, you know, I was all dressed up for surgery and myself and Ollie looking under my armpit trying to find a lump that just wasn't there. It's just one of those things, you know, you, you get them. Uh, but just to double check, and this is another complete stroke of luck uh, and, and skill from a doctor uh, and, 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 you know, information that's been gathered over the last number of decades. He sent me, a, he sent me for a, a scan called a PET scan. Uh, which is a which is a, a a CT scan where they put radioactive dye in you, uh, and essentially it lights up any cancers in your body on their screen, uh, and that revealed that I had spots, you know, on my liver. 
so the cancer had now jumped from my bowel over to my liver and uh, and I now had liver cancer um, so I was facing down you know more surgery more treatment and and you know it moves to late stage cancer at that stage with a pretty you know really a very low probability of survival um, so uh, I always say that the first the first diagnosis was kind of manageable from a from from a capacity point of view but but the second one when you know the probability is very low and and the road you have or the potential road you have back to back to recovery um is so long that um that was the one that really hit us bad and it's like a, a double wave almost isn't it because the first wave came crashing you picked yourself back up and now it's moved was it really hard for you obviously you have a physical journey but a a mindset journey to try and, and stay positive through that one yeah i i think staying positive there's different mindsets to cancer patients i i i speak to a lot of cancer patients now i i still do um if a friend if a friend's friend gets diagnosed with cancer i'm i'm normally on the phone to them within a few days and we're talking about you know what to expect and things like that and different people have different different outlooks on it some people fight it some people you know I suppose it's like anything you, you you fight it you run away from it you hide you you know my approach was you know I had a kind of a great team beside me and my my wife Eva she's she's brilliant in terms of in terms of getting all the information and and you know a lot of it is is actually a business it's it's linking up with great doctors and great nurses and people who know what to do and um you know waiting times and scan times and 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 all of that um so uh so yeah look uh, i think i think actually at the start any hope kind of a little bit goes out the window and you're just dealing with it day to day really yeah um, and getting on board with the plan what what what's the yeah. plan and then just going through that i suppose yeah your mental state completely changes from being you know, fit and active and a very happy person, just married, um, to, you know, uh, your whole world completely falling apart and, you know, they give you a 10% chance of survival and, you know, that's not great. Um, we actually, um, we we had a miscarriage quite, quite soon after I was diagnosed the second time. So, you know, your whole world falls apart in terms of in terms of yourself, and then and then you know it's it's almost even more devastating when 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 the second bit happens. So it's a, yeah, it was a really tough time, and uh, and the, the, probably the most difficult time is is the is the couple of weeks or three weeks where they're trying to come up with the plan. Um, maybe it's just the way I'm wired that it's I want to know how I'm go- maybe going to get better, or can I get better, or are you going to tell me? How long I'm going to be here for? Um, so, you know, those couple of weeks are are pretty tough for your head. You're spinning, uh, and you you kind of don't know which way's up. Yeah. And chemotherapy was part of that plan, and mm. that's not easy either. Chemotherapy is probably you know it's almost the toughest bit of it. Um, you know, you talk about the technology. Um, you know, when my granny was diagnosed whatever 35 years ago with cancer they thought she'd joined us um she she she'd bowel cancer and had moved into her liver and it had obviously you know maybe it had take, taken its toll then um with me you know my second surgery was done robotically i mean the surgeon wasn't even touching me 
they put a robot inside me, a Da Vinci robot, and he was sitting across the room and he did it. I always say he did it on a laptop across the room. But, you know, that's incredible. I've been into the Science Museum in London to see one of these machines and, you know, that's just incredible. I walked out of a major liver surgery three days later and, you know, I'm physically... I'm physically, I was hit by the first surgery, but to be able to walk out three days later and then recover, uh, I think within two weeks I was on to a fairly brutal chemotherapy regime. So to be able to, you know, to be able to do that and, and not have, you know, months of recovery or weeks of recovery after after a big surgery, that's that's the key. Um, yeah, I, felt, I think chemotherapy was probably the hardest bit of it. I almost think, you know, when they sit you down, the evening before, you know, and I almost think that the word chemotherapy is almost scarier than cancer um, because you, you really know you're in it when you're getting chemotherapy. And uh, it, uh, yeah, it's 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 extremely hard. Yeah. Um, I did 11 cycles of chemotherapy and had a lot of ups and downs during it. Um, you know, things like low liver function, um, going to the ER with heart problems, um, huge anaphylactic reaction when I was taking it. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of twists and turns along the way. Um, that's probably one thing I always say to to people, and it's advice that was given to me. Uh, my best friend's dad went through cancer, you know, a couple of decades ago, and he had terrible cancer. And one thing he said to me at the start was, "Listen, when they change the plan, don't get worried." Um, just happens and I think that happens a lot and with me it happened a few times you know your liver function goes down they need to change the drugs um, you know you get a massive anaphylactic reaction and you know you can't breathe and your eyes are all closed and uh, and they need to stop the chemotherapy and all for for me all I wanted to do was take more and more chemotherapy because you know in my head that's what gets you better um, but uh, you know Doctors and nurses know what they're know what they're doing. They they really are the heroes. Yeah, so don't panic and think it's not working. It's not working. Their their tweaks need to be made along the way. Um, and of course, it ripples out to all the people in your life. I mean, we've mentioned your wife. She's there, you know, coming to terms with the miscarriage you both went through. You're going straight into chemotherapy. I'm sure your family, your friends. It's not just the person going through it, is it? It. I think it's. I think it's. You know, reflecting on it, I think it's probably even harder on your partner, uh, harder on 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 my wife. You know, from my perspective, um, you know, just after a chemotherapy session, I'd be kind of curled up in a ball, pretty much useless for a few days, trying to recover. And you know, uh, you know, just kind of. It, it's 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 not the it's it's kind of not the life you signed up for, you know, you know. Well, you do. You say for better, for worse, and sickness and in health, don't you? But I you mean, don't really think it'll ever come in that quick. In sickness and in health, she just got the worst deal ever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, within a year, within whatever a year or two, she's she, she's now got a husband who's curled up in the bed taking chemotherapy, and and you know. Not probably not a lot of fun to be around, and you know, dealing with everything she was going through, and she's you know she just you know keeps keeps the show going. I suppose is is probably not a great phrase, but she's holding everything up. You know, she's you know she's uh, she's 
keeping life going and um and then keeping me going because you know there's so many appointments there's so many drugs to be taking you know there's there's a real regime to the whole thing um you know at some points you'd be at some points I'd be on a uh, I'd be on a pump that I'd, that would be connected into my chest um so I'd be on that for a couple of days after a chemotherapy session taking you know countless pills during the day and uh and then you know it's just incredible that she's able to keep keep the whole thing going um so yeah she she didn't just kind of save me at the start she was really my personal nurse i suppose going through the whole thing as well um yeah i mean what a what a tough card to be dealt for her yeah um, and for you but you have come through it i mean people will hear you are in good health you're now four and a half years clear of cancer. Is that right? Yeah. uh, I have my five-year scans coming up in a few weeks, um, which is a pretty big milestone that I didn't think I was going to get to. So I'm pretty excited about that. And that's the gift in a way, such a tough experience. I mean, look, we could probably get there without it, but you just get a real perspective on the joy of life and the simple things, don't you? And they're the kind of things you dream of, these milestones to get to. And sometimes it's just a very simple life where nothing is really happening on a, on a Tuesday. But you've had a very busy May. When did you come up with this swim a mile in May idea? It's, it's a, so the mile a day in May came up. We were probably, I don't know, a few a few chemotherapy sessions in, maybe we were on the fifth one or something like that. And chemotherapy is is a, is a is a is a is a beast in terms of you, you're sitting there for five to eight hours on the day in the in the kind of chemotherapy dentist chair, and the two you know Eve had come to all of them with me, and you know you're having a chat, and it was one of those kind of chats that I kind of turned and I said, if I get through this, I'd like to, you know get as much money as possible into into cancer research uh, to see everyone who helped me through this and to get back to my normal self, so to try and be fit and healthy again. So that's where it came from. Um, I looked at a few different challenges. I thought, you know, everyone or, you know, most people can, can kind of do a run. Uh, a lot of people can do a cycle, but there's something about swimming in the sea that is in a part of people's brains that's a little bit, um, you know, I don't know, inaccessible or, or 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 really would be a big challenge for them. Um, there's a lot going on out there, you know, waves, jellyfish, seals, porpoise, you know, seaweed. It's 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 all kind of uh, it's all kind of quite interesting, and you're you're out there for a long time doing a mile. So uh, yeah, we thought that would be a great great challenge. I'm not like a you know, swimming's not my primary sport or anything like that. It's 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 just it was purely because I thought it would be a big challenge for for me and for everyone in it. And it is a big challenge. I mean, it's it's an hour at least in the water to swim a mile because you know it, it is quite a fair distance, and then it's even harder again with how the sea is. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a really big challenge. I think our I think we average so we swam thirty one miles in May. Um, Groups of people would come with me every day and I swim the same paces. You know, everyone swims at the same pace. We start and finish together. You know, it's, it's a team. It's a team event, just like going through cancer. It, it, we kind of help each other along and you're averaging between an hour, hour and 10 in the sea every night. Our longest mile is an hour 55. Um, so, you know, two hours is just a very, very long time to be, you know, in the cold 
and, you know, everything that's going on around you. And it's a really special event. I mean, you started with 50 people, a lot of people who had been like on your medical team or your supporters, your friends, your family. I know Aoife gets involved at the the start and the end still by your side. But this year you had 200 people and you've raised over the four years 250,000 euro for cancer research. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable, really. I didn't think it would go like this. Um I I wasn't trying to wasn't trying to build something that would go for years and I I am completely astounded by the amount of money people put in. I really didn't expect it from day one. Um and uh yeah it's it's really phenomenal. Um year one was forty five swimmers and it was really my doctors, my nurses, anyone who helped me along the way, from friends who just kept texting me every day to, you know, there's just great stories of friends who'd go out and do a shop for us or, you know, um, friends who'd send over presents. Um, I have a great friend. Um, she sent over a, a, a whole bunch of easy read books. And uh, There's a thing it's fairly common with people who are going through chemotherapy. They call it chemo brain. Um, and, you know, you're not as sharp as you normally are. Um, you're not going to get you're not going to get involved in something really complicated, but she's uh, she, she, she's great and she thought through that and she sent me a, a load of stuff that's just super easy to read. So that was, you know, stuff like that, just really nice things. Um, so it was the 45 in the first year and this year is just completely different. I kind of opened it up to anyone who's up for up for doing the challenge and uh, I can't believe, you know, that many people came and, came and did it with me. It was brilliant. No, well, it's just incredible the way you tell your your story, the good vibes that you've taken from it that continue to radiate out. People can still donate now, even though we've just said goodbye to May. Where can people find out more? Yeah, um, myladayinmay.org. Um, we're supporting some great charities in Dublin this year. Um, Cancer Trials Ireland. Um, so this, this is a group that bring cancer trials into into give people in people in Ireland access to them that aren't available in Ireland so if there's something happening somewhere else around the world and it could help out could help out the you know the Irish population they'll get it in and that's I think something really cool and then there's a there's a uh, there's a there's a research lab down in Trinity who work in St James's uh, and these guys are working on curing various different types of cancer so you know it's a small uh, it's a small enough team and they're doing some really great stuff. Um, so that's uh, that's the two in, in Ireland and uh, the, the, the one, there's one that's really close to my heart is um, Deborah James. Uh, we got diagnosed with cancer around about the same time and uh, she we both got diagnosed with stage four bowel cancer and she's, she did an amazing thing in terms of like raising awareness for... Um, for bowel cancer, especially in the UK, um, she uh, she started something called Bell Babe, and uh, she passed away fairly recently. Um, so we're gonna do some money into that as well. Yeah, and would you have been in touch with her online? Is that how you met, or did you meet in person? Yeah, she was gas. She did this, you know, pretty different to me. Like I think when I got diagnosed, I was just kind of like head down. God, let's just get through this and see what we can do. She just put her whole life out on Instagram, yeah. making these videos and it's kind of different approaches for different people, you know. 
Um, they, uh, yeah, she put her whole life out on Instagram, her kids, her, her whole life. And she did it until the day she died. It was mad. So Even you're going to continue on her legacy and, and, and her message. Her foundation is enormous now in the UK. There's been a huge amount of support and there's a, there's a great BBC documentary about her. Um, and she, she, uh, she like it's unbelievable the support she she got made a dame and uh, Prince William came over to her house to to do it when she was uh, when she was you know on her last legs, um, but she got all dressed up and she had a glass of champagne and everything. Um, look, she's she's something else, and uh, I think it shows the support from the public um, for for those types of cancer research projects. Um, one and two of us get cancer during our lives. Uh, it's pretty astounding when you when you think about it that way. So, you know, there's, a, there's, there's you know thousands of people in Ireland who are living post a cancer diagnosis at the moment uh, and there's people getting diagnosed every day. But I just feel, you know, the more money we get into this charity, the better the results are going to be. And I'm a kind of living example of technology and research and, you know, doctors getting better at what they do. That's the reason I'm here. Uh, alongside an unbelievable wife, really. Um, well, I have to say thank you for everything that you are doing. Um, I'm going to be supporting you. You have support all around you and it's incredible how you turned around such a tough experience and turned it into something so positive. Continued strength and health to you. Good luck at the five-year scan. That'll be an incredible milestone for you all. Guy O'Leary, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks a million for having me and you're warmly invited to come and swim a mile with me next year as are all of your listeners. Well, I'll have to. If I say I'm a supporter, I'll have to get in the sea (laughs) and I will. It'll be great to have you along. Thank you so much, Guy. So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aoife Breen and to Hugo De Silva Scott who was on sound and thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking on News Talk.